Hello and welcome to Imagine Amazing, Oregon HFMA's podcast with its current president. In today's podcast, we will be joined by a team of people who've been hot on the speaking circuit for various chapters of HFMA, as well as doing regional and national speaking engagements. Guidehouse is in the house. As this is the president's podcast, we are joined today by Oregon HFMA's 2020 through 2022 chapter president, Tammy Kuhn who will be providing us with important chapter updates and healthcare trends in Oregon. And as a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is available on all popular podcast platforms and is now viewable on Oregon HFMA's YouTube channel. To watch the podcast, pop some popcorn, go to YouTube, type in Oregon HFMA Imagine Amazing, click on the desired episode and sit back and enjoy. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Johnson. And I'm your other host, Kelly Smith. Today's episode of Imagine Amazing is sponsored and made possible by one of Oregon HFMA's diamond sponsors, Guidehouse. Guidehouse, formerly Navigant, is a specialized global professional services firm offering impactful industry-leading healthcare solutions. Offering both comprehensive managed services and advisory solutions, Guidehouse provides a full suite of revenue cycle services. In addition to being recognized for best in class for revenue cycle optimization, Guidehouse has earned seven number one class rankings for revenue cycle outsourcing solutions over the past decade and was named the top healthcare RCM consulting firm in 2020 and 2021 by BlackBook. Thank you, Guidehouse. Tammy Kuhn, it is so fantastic to get to meet with you again. As always, it's fun and informative, and I can't believe how much has changed from just the last time we were together. So I look forward to your chapter updates. Thank you, Jeff. I'm very glad to be here. I really believe it's important that we remain connected as a chapter and as the Oregon HFMA family. Uh, This podcast is a great way to share information. And I do hope our chapter members are not just listening and following the podcast, but also sharing it with all of their peers. Oh, Tammy, it's our honor to host this podcast with you and provide an additional avenue of communication for Oregon HFMA members, the past ones, present ones, future ones. We're hearing that Oregon House Bill 2360 is forcing new changes to nonprofit healthcare systems in Oregon. Can you expand a little on this bill for our listeners? Yes, I can, Kelly. It's so true. The Oregon 2021 House Bill 2360 is causing Oregon not-for-profit hospital systems to reconsider and in most instances rewrite their charity policies and practices. This bill is an amendment to the state's previous charity care mandates from 2019. So it it amends Oregon 446612 and 446614. So the new emergency bill prohibits nonprofit hospitals from requiring patients to apply for medical assistance before screening for or providing financial assistance. In simple terms, the Oregon bill allows a person to apply for financial help at a hospital without being forced to seek Medicaid and putting their immigration status in jeopardy. Uh, The legislation allows a person to opt out of Medicaid applications. Wow, Tammy, that's very interesting. I know that charity care is typically the payer of last resort for healthcare systems that depend on insurance to reimburse them for the services rendered. This sounds like it will have a real impact on revenue for these systems. So if someone wanted to learn how other organizations are preparing for this new bill, what would you recommend? Ah, glad that you asked. First, I'd recommend meeting with your internal legal counsel and follow the recommendations. That being said, Oregon HFMA has an amazing problem-solving session that will be happening on May 20th. 
It's where leaders from and organizations gather around for best practices and ideas. It's a powerhouse session that's free for anyone to attend. And I know this topic is going to be on the agenda to discuss, so you don't want to miss that. To register, listeners may go to www.oregonhfma.org and click the link for the upcoming conference and register for free for the problem-solving sessions. That's awesome, Tammy, and a great reminder of the amazing networking and information sessions that Oregon HFMA is constantly offering our our listeners and our members. So wonderful reminder. And again, if anyone's interested in the free session that Tammy's talking about here, please go to www.oregonhfma.org to register. This will be a virtual session, so it'll be easy to join, listen, participate, and hope to see you there. Now, Tammy, I'd love to have you share a little more about today's podcast and the guests that you've invited. Thanks, Kelly. So Oregon HFMA is honored to have a very selected list of diamond sponsors. And one of those sponsors is Guidehouse, who I'm excited to have joined us today. So representing Guidehouse is Brian Chamberlain and Ryan Ashton. Welcome to the podcast. Will each of you take a moment and introduce yourself and share something unique that our listeners would love to hear. All right, so I'm uh, Brian Chamberlain. I'm a partner in Guidehouse's healthcare financial services practice, and I've been doing revenue cycle consulting for about 20 years. So I've been helping providers with improve their revenue cycles across the operational continuum from patient access services to patient financial services, and in, in both improving operations and also realizing uh, net revenue improvement. Hello, everyone. I'm Ryan Ashton. I'm a managing consultant at Guidehouse's Healthcare Financial Services practice as well. Uh, I've got about seven years of revenue cycle and healthcare IT experience. Um, I help lead both our revenue cycle RPA and automation, as well as our EMR optimization thought leadership groups. I'm very excited to be here today and look forward to having some insightful conversations with the group. Well, we are glad to have you both with us today. Should be a lot of fun. I'm so glad that you are able to share some of your insights, knowledge, and experience. I know that you guys have been very hot on that speaking topic, as Kelly had mentioned before. So for today's episode, we're going to be discussing results from a recent survey that Guidehouse conducted in partnership with HFMA. As part of this survey, HFMA asked over 150 healthcare executives a series of questions related to the pandemic, revenue cycle, and technology. For those interested in viewing the full survey results, you can simply Google Guidehouse HFMA podcast, COVID-19 operational and financial provider trends. So with that, let's explore some of the data from the survey. 68% of those surveyed executives reported expecting an increase in self-pay accounts because of the pandemic. So a question for you, Brian, Understanding that the pandemic has put many potential patients at financial risk, how can providers support or facilitate the payment of their medical bills? So it really kind of goes back to some of the fundamentals of anticipating the patient expectations and with the increase in self-pay and some of the challenges that the pandemic has brought, it's really around just an opportunity to standardize all of their self-pay policies and procedures to make sure that those are consistent across the organization. Too many times we find with some of our clients that there are disparate 
policies within their own revenue cycle. So, for example, professional services may have some uh, charity policies, and the hospital billing teams may have a separate charity policy. So what we found is this is a perfect example to align some of those types of policies or procedures, for example, and really focus on the patient experience. So knowing that this is a broader trend of patients are being impacted for their financial liabilities as part of this, but also there's this trend towards increased consumerism. And we know that the, the price transparency ruling that started in, to go into effect as of January 1 of this year, where providers are having to disclose some of their negotiated rates, you know, those types of things are certainly being influenced to, on providers' behavior and ensuring that they're moving into that more patient-centric or patient-friendly billing processes. Well, that is great advice. I've definitely seen that, that disconnect like you're talking about between finance and the revenue cycle and just the experience for the patient. So excellent advice. Now we have a question for you, Ryan, as well. What type of processes and technologies can be used to help streamline collection efforts for this influx of self-pay patient population, which includes estimates, financial counseling, financial assistance, discount structures, et cetera? Good question. So, so really what it comes down to me is really around transparency, both before and after the patient's visit. So really what you want to, you know, best practice is around um, providing an upfront estimate to the patient. And how you can best do this is by leveraging some of the RTE or real-time eligibility information, uh, which payers will provide, you know, both the patients remaining out of pocket, um, provide copay information, um, which through EMR configuration can be leveraged to fairly accurately um, provide a, an estimate to the patient around what they're going to owe for their services. So if you can come upfront to the patient, be transparent with what they're going to owe, uh, at the end of the day, they're more likely to pay their bill. And even you can even start some financial aid services, um, start some pre prepayment agreements. Uh, you know, I've seen health systems even offer discounts for someone who's going to pay full price upfront. And then as we move to the back end, it's really around, again, increasing transparency to the patient, reducing confusion. Um, some ways in order to do this, uh, you can combine both your hospital and professional bills onto a single statement. So a good example of this would be Epic Single Billing Office uh, module, which allows a health system to combine both their hospital and professional liabilities onto a single statement, which uh, ends up reducing overall confusion for the patient on what they owe um, and incentivizes them to, to hopefully pay their bill. Um, on those statements, you, you want to make sure you're being upfront around your financial aid offerings, uh, potential opportunities to put them on payment plans. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, again, you want to be transparent about what they owe um, and when you want to collect it and, and provide them multiple offerings, um, whether it be online, um, through statements, over the phone, to collect those payments in a timely manner. Yeah, Brian and Ryan, both great answers there and love the discussion around the patient experience and transparency. Definitely big topics in our industry, and especially now as we have more requirements that we have to abide by. On the topic of the patient estimates, I'm just curious if you've seen any healthcare providers guaranteeing patient estimates as another form of patient satisfaction. 
So Kelly, it's a great question. And I, and I think, unfortunately, you know, we don't see health systems typically guarantee an estimation. And I think some of the reasons behind that is, is you know, you, you never really know what's going to happen when you're in the hospital. So, you know, things do happen in surgeries, um, you know, and, and that can cause, you know, estimations to be slightly off. And so what you want to do is really leverage your technology historical data based upon claims and payments um, to really give that patient the most accurate version of, of what they might have to pay at the end of that surgery um, to the best of your ability. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That's I, what I'm finding too. And Kelly, I, I would add on to that too, is I think some of your, your more industry leading or thought leading organizations, and maybe it's just some of the larger ones that have the scale and ability to kind of play around with this, have, have started to think about it more. So to Brian's point, there hasn't really been a realization where folks are putting this into practice. But as you think about some services that are definitely commodity-based and the, the shoppable opportunities now that patients have with price transparency, for example, there has been more discussion in the market around doing these for a subset of services. So you're you know, your more typical uh, surgeries, maybe it's more of an outpatient-based surgeries, orthopedic procedures, for example, radiology or labs where people might do price estimates. Uh, there has been a lot more conversations out in the future that we will see some of that similar to other industries. It's just a part of consumerism. I bet you're right. Absolutely. Good. So here's another interesting result that I came across. When asked about what strategies providers are pursuing to reduce costs and increase economies of scale, 37% reported vendor partnerships and 32% reported outsourcing. So question for Brian, what are some of the benefits and risks of these types of vendor partnerships? So when people think vendor partnerships and reducing costs or the benefits, it's typically cost reduction. And they think that's the lowest, you know, either the, the lowest common denominator, or the lowest hanging fruit to go after. And in a lot of ways, there is cost savings to be had. But what we see is really more of a partnership in these types of arrangements. So when we think about vendors and how do we best use them, a couple of considerations that, that we, conversations we're having with clients to consider and where we're helping clients is, of course, reducing costs and, and focusing on the right cost structure there, but it's really about aligning incentives and providing opportunities to improve performance. And one way of doing that is to very, very much manage or partner with your, your vendors and having commonality in your goals or, or performance targets. And, and that may mean a little bit more of a focus. It also could mean an opportunity to uh, lift out of some of the processes that you've currently done in-house and it put that into an alternative model externally, meaning that you, this vendor relationship now could allow flexibility in how you're performing. these. So you can have more KPI-based outcomes or goals that are in incentivizing vendors perhaps, but in the end, it's a kind of all, all boats are risen with the tide, right? It's how do you then make sure that you're utilizing them in the best capacity and that could just be very much a different mindset. And one, one example that we've seen in a, a large health system in the Southeast is they actually did create a model where they looked at their revenue cycle as a core competency and said, this is something we do well, 
we want to be able to make sure that we have this it, separately run from the patient care. And in a large system, right, it's sometimes it's viewed as a cost center. They wanted to basically create a whole new revenue cycle operating model and then get that to a point where it was high functioning and consider bringing in or servicing that as a vendor for other providers to say, hey, we can do this on your behalf. So not only were they performing at a better level for their organization, but now they're able to take that outside of the market and do that for other providers as well. So I think it's a, another way that some providers are thinking about the revenue cycles in the vendor space. Great comments. Really appreciate it. So another question for Ryan, outsourcing has long been an approach to lower costs. Is it the only way to achieve lower costs? No, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I think that to me, I think, uh, you know, where the industry is moving is really leveraging technology and automation. And so I think, you know, first and foremost, you want to really uh, take a look at your, your EMR, make sure it's aligning with your operating model and, and identify where there's opportunities for you to leverage automation both within the system to alleviate some of those more manual, tedious tasks that you have staff doing um, and really look for, for ways to, to escalate and elevate their work by, um, by leveraging automation and, and, uh, and additional configuration within your EMR. Um, I think additionally, there's, there's ways, you know, even within the, within the realm of outsourcing, um, of leveraging data to very targeted, targetedly approach uh, what accounts receivable you're outsourcing to vendors. So a prime example, of this would be taking a look at the margins by different financial classes um, and maybe taking a look and saying, you know, our lowest margins are in Medicaid. And so we're going to outsource Medicaid to a vendor for them to work. And we're going to leverage our internal employees um, for working those more higher value added accounts receivable. Great responses, you guys. I really love the approach that you're taking. And of course, we all know that we look at price so often and, and we want the lowest and cheapest cost, as you were saying before, Brian, but that doesn't mean that you'll get the best performance. So I really love that you're looking at those partnerships in that way. And of course, using this automation has been so key in what we're doing. Moving on in part of your survey and some of the facts that came from that, when asked about what strategies providers are pursuing to reduce costs and increase economies of scale, 27% reported leveraging advanced IT, such as RPA, AI, ML, etc. So a question for you, some of these terms may seem like temporary buzzwords. We hear them often, very similar to like ACOs were back in the day. So what tangible results have you seen in operationalizing automation or artificial intelligence? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I don't think that these are necessarily buzzwords. I think that these are, you know, true technologies that, you know, aren't just seen in the healthcare industry. And I think they're here, you know, to stay. And I think it is, um, you know, kind of the wave of the future. And so an example of a, a tangible um, result that I've seen um, I'll, I'll take it in the lens of uh, an example that I've seen in the provider enrollment space. Um, so as an example, on the professional side, um, you know, you have health systems that are contracted with maybe 15, 20 different payers. Um, you have your host uh, provider enrollment system 
which you have a team for aggregating data from your providers. Um, and, and a typical part of their task is going out to these contracted payers' websites, um, filling out the information for each provider um, to get them enrolled with that payer. And so this is a prime example where you can leverage um, such technology as RPA or, uh, and, you know, or AI to automate this process. And I've seen this, this work very well, where it essentially takes the data out of your core system, alleviates the, the manual data entry task from your staff from going to 15 to 20 websites um, for each provider, and actually can take the data, fill out the sheets on their website, submit the enrollment, increasing the quality of the work, increasing the time, and really allowing your provider enrollment uh, staff to focus on the core aspects of their job of aggregating data, making sure it's, it's uh, verified, making sure it's accurate, um, and allowing the, the bot or the RPA automated process to do the more monotonous manual tasks. That's awesome. Now, as you're speaking, I hear a lot of acronyms, and that can be a little confusing for our listeners. So would you take a moment just to define what is RPA, what is AI, what is ML, and explain how they interconnect and where they can be generally leveraged? Yeah, great. Um, I'll go ahead and start with RPA. So RPA uh, is short for Robotic Process Automation. Um, it's pretty much the most straightforward of the three. Um, so this is really just lever leveraging a program or what people sometimes refer to as bots to perform a very fairly simple task. So this is not uh, by any means new technology. I think um, one kind of early adapter, kind of uh, you know early example of this would be a recording of an Excel macro. So it's pretty much the exact same technology where Microsoft is recording the actions that you're doing on that spreadsheet so it can be repeated. So that's RPA. And, and I think, um, you know, that's a, a very simple definition for that process. So now let's tackle the a little bit more complex topics of AI and machine learning. So, so I'll start with AI. So AI is really artificial intelligence. It is a broad field of technology that really examines different types of techniques that can be implemented into machines to enable them to reason, learn, and act intelligently such as a human would. ML or machine learning is actually a subfield of AI. So it is part of the AI sphere and is really devoted to leveraging statistics to take large amounts of data to identify patterns, and make intelligent decisions. So it is really learning from the inputs and the appropriate outputs to continually advance that process. Thank you so much for defining that for the listeners and for me. I do appreciate it as well. You know, as leaders are listening to this and they're thinking about all of this new technology what should they first evaluate within their current technology prior to just jumping in? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, to me, I think it really comes down to almost looking at it as a maturity model. So, so you, you know, I, I like to use the terminology, you know, you have to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. And so, you know, really, you know, I would, would recommend, you know, healthcare executives really evaluating what systems they have in, in place now. So whether it be, 
your EMR, whether it be uh, you know any other systems that you may leverage, and really investing in those products to maximize their capabilities before really turning to external investments. So I think you know when it comes to RPA, AI, machine learning, and some of those advanced IT functions. To me, it's, it's really a, a, it's a building upon the already existing technology that you have to help supplement and make your operational processes more efficient. So really, you know, if, I would recommend that the investments first be made in your core systems, as that is really the core of your business. And then leveraging these advanced IT and, and technical processes to really take you to the next level. Uh, just curious, as along the same lines, what types of general partnerships are needed to leverage this advanced information technology? And what are the pros and cons of these partnerships? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think, you know, like any new or any advancing technology, there's going to be a, a wide variety of options for you to select. I mean, I think, you know, it, it really it really depends on the organization what type of resources they, they have available to them, they have internally, and really what's their appetite for potentially bringing this type of technology in-house rather than some sort of partial outsourcing model or, for, or full outsourcing model. So I'll just quickly kind of run through those different models and some of the pros and, and cons to them. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, for maybe a large health system that has a, a fairly robust IT department, it may be beneficial to bring all of that technology and, and some of that advancement in-house. And some of the pros to that is you get to control it. You get to customize and tailor that those solutions to your health system. And it's typically cheaper because you're not paying for the service. You know, through something as a, a partial outsourcing model, you can leverage third-party vendors to maybe supplement some of the development costs um, while still housing and hosting those, that technology on your own servers, whether it be your own bots, et cetera. And then there's kind of the, the third and last of like a full outsourcing model, which would be leveraging a partnership with a technology vendor to, to really take those processes and take that design, build, hosting of that technology outside of your health system and, and leverage that partnership to to manage that. Some of the obvious pros and cons, again, go with, with cost, you know, the flexibility, depending on your partners or, or your, your vendors availability. And at the end of the day, you know, they're hosting those, those bots or those processes on their own servers. So, you know, if that vendor maybe comes, maybe becomes too expensive and you have already aligned your operational model to, to tailor to those you know, automated functions, you may go back to square one. So again, it, it, it's really around the appetite for the health system for bringing those in-house or partnering with a vendor. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just need to take a strategic approach at whichever one you want, you would like to, to take. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Really enjoyed that discussion. It just sort of highlights how many options there are available to providers when thinking about their vendor relationships and how to best utilize those offerings. So thank you.
I'm, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and look to Brian, but I have yet another fact that I found really interesting. When asked what executives were doing to better engage consumers, 73% reported leveraging telehealth, another 63% reported financial counseling, and 53% reported online portals with price estimates. So my question is, when you think about pricing transparency for patients, I mean, we know that became an urgent need for providers under the recent federal re- legislation that went into effect in January, but how have providers responded to those requirements and what's next in the payer-provider-patient relationship regarding medical consumerism? That's a good question. We've seen the, the answer to the provider response has really been varied. We've seen providers take a wait and see approach. We've seen providers be compliant from day one. I'd say by and large, most folks are kind of in the middle. They're rolling things out. They're trying to be compliant. And of course, there's also the challenge of other things within the organization. There's still the pandemic in January that was you know, fairly robust and, and impactful to many of our clients and kind of hotspots that they just didn't have the capacity to deal with this in the beginning of the year or towards the end of last year. And so I think most people have a good faith in trying to get where they need to be in, in compliance. Uh, but there are certain ones that are in competitive markets that are waiting to see what the provider across the street displays. And, and in some cases, they are producing information, but maybe they're not producing the information for those services that they see as very competitive or core competencies for their organization. Now, I, I think has CMS gotten much of an enforcement yet. I actually heard for the first time just yesterday where CMS was coming in to audit hmm. an organization. And so I think this is going to start to catch people's attention a little bit more. You know, the fines we know were relatively minor mm-hmm. and providers in some cases were saying, hey, if I have to be fined, so be it. I'll get to this compliance at some point, but let me be smart about it and make sure that I'm not pushing information out there that might be harmful for their their reimbursement over time. Uh, but of course, eventually all, all providers are going to have to get there. The, the, the one thing that I see is that mostly it's not so much that CMS or those fines are going to drive behaviors. It's, it's consumerism, as you mentioned, Kelly, that it, what do patients expect and what do their communities expect? So if a, in some cases, if a, it, a provider is non-compliant, that could get out there in the community where another provider across the street is. And it just doesn't look favorable to that one that's withholding the information. If it's in fact that, you know, they are not not disclosing by choice. And so I think where all this goes is that the push of course is to consumerism patients want that where I see this going in the future is probably two fronts. We talked a little bit earlier about the, the bundled pricing and guaranteeing or kind of providing a firm, price for services. I, I think that is going to get some traction at some point. Don't know when. It, eventually, that would be nice from a consumer standpoint. It, the other piece of it is just how do we be more patient-centric? And one thing I'd like to look at is how do you, what's the, what are the leading consumer organizations out there? Everybody loves Amazon, right? You get online. It has all aspects. There's technology. You can do it from home. You have uh, community feedback. You have, everything is real time, right? You go in, you can click a button, you get things delivered in two days, it's fast. And and healthcare is so far from that perspective in most cases, right? I'd say 
clinical care notwithstanding, but the, the actual patient financial experience is, is typically not near any, anywhere near that. So where I see this being is just how do we continue to educate the patient, involve them in their financial responsibility through those price estimates, those uh, unified policies, uh, continued technology enablement to bring them into your organization. And then as we see them doing price comparisons online, for example, how do we then capture that revenue or capture that service? We don't want them to leave the platform. So can we use technology in some ways to then say, hey, you, you can now enter uh, our provider space online, get your price estimate, schedule your service, prepay, you know, register and prepay all in one short visit. And that general consumerism theme is where I think this is going to go. Price transparency is just another another avenue or another uh vehicle that's taking us there. Yeah, so interesting too, because as we think about the requirements to post the charge master and you think about the patient experience, there's a lot of details in a charge master that would make no sense to a patient. And of course, right. we all know that the charges don't reflect the cost. And so making sure that we really direct patients towards the patient estimates as a better reflection of what I'm really looking at in terms of my out-of-pocket expense. And, and how do you educate patients on that? Because not everybody can understand that is another tricky thing, but good, good comments. So one more question for you. What can providers do to gain a competitive advantage with their consumers with a push towards digitization and transparency? Yeah, I think as I was kind of touching on earlier is that the whole consumerism and, and patient experience. So if we we now have the digital tools for telehealth and providing care, can we still do those types of things that are innovative or at least it, we're advancing them faster than we thought in the patient financial experience? So getting them in to do those price estimates, those automation tools that are going to then allow them to be categorized in the right way within the organization. So if they need to speak to a financial counselor, for example, right, they get queued up based on some information that we may already know of the patient or that they've provided. And so I think there's a way to kind of blend the, the consumer touch points and their expectations with some of the technology that Ryan's been talking about. Those tools exist out there. How do we put them in place and configure them in a way that's going to be favorable for both patients and providers? It's going to be interesting. I think it's starting to take hold and there's a lot of potential or possibility out there. Awesome. Truly incredible. It's been so much fun to have both of you on this podcast and, and to talk about the survey that you guys did and, and get more information. I've sat here and I've learned a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. It was fascinating to hear about everything that's trending and how the providers are responding. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining today. And I want to give Tammy a chance too. Tammy, do you have any chapter updates for our listeners that you want to share? I do. Thanks for asking. So Oregon HFMA continues to offer its members exciting educational sessions and networking events virtually. Uh, we hope to someday be in person. So um, for now, we are virtual. Our annual conference is going to be happening May 20th and 21st. Um, it's going to be virtual to all members. So as previously mentioned, um, we have an amazing problem-solving session happening at 4 p.m. on the 20th. It is open to members and non-members. Uh, 
If you'd like to learn more about us uh, for free, register for the session and the conference by visiting our website at www.oregonhfma.org. That's awesome. Thank you, Tammy. And also thank you, Guidehouse. You guys were incredible today. Thanks for joining us. I know that as I'm out there on social media, I see a lot of posts about people getting their vaccination. Well, I just want you guys to know my social media posts show that I am registered for this upcoming conference. I'm super excited about it. And I honestly can't wait. Me too. I'm registered, excited to go. So hopefully everyone will take advantage of the information shared in today's podcast and join us for the upcoming conference. Meanwhile, we'd like to once again thank everyone for joining us today on this podcast, and we extend the warmest wishes to all Oregon HFMA members and want to give another shout out to our amazing healthcare heroes who continue to work at making our lives healthier and happier. So thank you, everyone. This episode of Imagine Amazing is brought to you today by Guidehouse. To learn more, please visit www.guidehouse.com or follow them at Guidehouse Health on LinkedIn. Thank you, Guidehouse. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and all other popular podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Please find us, like us, and follow us for exciting content in 2021. Also, to learn more about Oregon HFMA, please visit us at www.oregonhfma.org.